Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 170th video cast, 160th podcast for the week ending January 19th, 2023. We have a lot to cover today, so we'll quickly do the media, and then we're going to get right to it. So uh, first off, I'd like to thank uh, Zoltan Saranyi and Mitch Hawk for having me on Benzinga. We're going to actually play that in just a second because it was a great interview. Anytime I go on Benzinga with Mitch, um, uh, he just goes into sub- such depth with the questions. It covers the overview all in one spot. And then we're going to get to a lot of charts, a lot of ask me anything questions and a lot of new data. So, uh, we'll, we'll click over to that in just a second. I want to thank Phil Yin. And Jacqueline Pham for having me on CGTN America. I'd like to thank uh, Sriyashi Sanyal and Amruta Kandigar for having me in Reuters uh, this week. want to thank uh, Hyunju Jin, Victoria Waldersi, Zhang Yan, Zoe Zhang, Bansari Kamdar, Samuel Indik, Gertrude Chavez, Kevin Krolicki, Peter Henderson, Alexander Smith, and Matthew Lewis for having me in Reuters. Want to thank uh, Bansari Kamdar again, Noor Hussein, Hannah Lang, Shunak Desgupta, Nick Zyminski also for having me in. And the Warren Buffett quote of the week, the stock market is a no-called strike game. You don't have to swing at everything. You can wait for your pitch. The problem when you're a money manager is your fans keep yelling, swing, you bum, swing. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that this week. But first off, just to get you a broad overview, because we've had this monster move, first off the October lows, now we've been consolidating for about six weeks, and everyone wanted, wants to know what's next, because we've had that pullback yesterday and today, and we cover it right here. So uh, on to Benzinga, take a listen right here. All right, let's bring on Tom Hayes here, managing member at Great Hill Capital. Welcome back on. How are we doing, Tom? Doing great, Mitch. Good to talk to you as always. It's always great to talk to you. Of course, it looks like today we finally ran into the wall. Some might call it the January effect wall is what I'm referring it to a little bit. It looks like, you know, I have the question now, and I feel a lot of investors are asking this question. Is this more a pause in the recent action? Or more long stocks starting to show at least a reverse from the recent rally? Yeah, it's a great question, Mitch. It's, it's the million-dollar question. I do think that uh, we've had a 15% rally off the uh, October lows. It's time to have a little bit of consolidation. The move is a little bit exhausted. But people are still off sides. And I do think after we get through this short-term consolidation, whether it's a week or so, uh, the path of least resistance is higher. Uh, I think uh, we'll consolidate short term. And keep in mind, uh, Q4 earnings season, although it just started, uh, it's basically going to end in a few weeks, okay, (laughs) after we get major tech earnings. And I think what's going to change about that is 2022 is no longer a factor. And then you have 2023 earnings, which right now are, you know, 229.52, which is consensus. And people are saying, oh, well, if we're going to get a slowdown, 17.2 times multiple is too high. But the minute those Q4 earnings roll off, we're no longer going to be focused on current year earnings. We're going to start looking forward to 2024 earnings, which are at 252.74. And in that case, we're only trading at 15.6 times 2024 earnings. 
And I think that shift is going to start to happen in coming weeks as we get through earnings. The other thing to keep in mind with earnings, Mitch, which is very important, everyone had very, very low expectations coming into this earnings season, negative 4.1%. But if you look at the Atlanta GDP now, it's saying that GDP grew in Q4 at plus 4.1%. So uh, so that, that dog don't hunt. Either uh, GDP expectations are too high or earnings expectations were too low. And we think earnings expectations were too low. We're going to have a positive surprise to the upside. Uh, guidance will be a little bit better than expected. And then we start to look forward to uh, 252 in 2024. And that's when people start to say, wait a second, there is value here at 15 and a half times. We'll have consolidated. And uh, and by then, you know, maybe the Fed will be done with their hawk talk. We were doing just fine after PPI until Mester got on the horn and Bullard got on the horn and talked the market down this morning. That's the bad news. The good news is neither of them have a vote moving forward. So uh, their words are pretty much meaningless. All right. Now, one thing I have been looking at, of course, is that we've been seeing kind of the amount of layoffs continue to grow right in the tech. Are you concerned that this is going to show up further down into earnings? Right. I mean, it just seems to kind of make sense if they're laying off. Do they expect trouble going forward? Yeah, I think this is actually very positive because, uh, number one, they'll take the one off severance like you saw a billion dollar charge with uh, Microsoft this morning. But what you're going to see and we talked about this in December is you're going to see a slew of these these announcements, you know, Microsoft 10,000, Amazon, you've seen uh, Salesforce, you've seen. And you're going to see more and more. And they're all going to come in January because no one makes layoffs in December before the holidays. And uh, what that is actually going to do that no one's really paying attention to is you're going to start to see political pressure heat up very, very quickly, particularly if you think about where most of these layoffs are concentrated in Nancy Pelosi's uh, constituency in San Francisco uh, and the whole tech area of California. And you're going to see politicians start to come out and really rail into the Fed. If you thought Trump was hard on, on Powell when he was in office, these Congress people are going to start coming out and say, you've tightened enough. It's evident that inflation has collapsed, is rolling over materially. You have to take into account the lagged effect. There's no reason that we should have hundreds of thousands of people laid off unnecessarily just for you to try to rectify an egregious error that you made last year by saying it was transitory and the Fed funds rate wouldn't go above 1%. It finished the year at 4.25%. We found out inflation wasn't transitory and now you're overdoing it to the other side. So don't make two mistakes. One mistake was enough. You could actually declare victory, say we're going to keep rates elevated at these levels like they did from 1995 to 1999. They kept the Fed funds rate uh, elevated at 6.5% and tech did exceptionally well during that period. So they could keep rates elevated. Maybe they do another 25 basis points and pause and keep it there at 450, 475 uh, you know, for nine or 12 months, see how the economy absorbs that. And my guess is if they did do that and they stopped in time and created a soft landing, they could keep the Fed funds right there for quite a long time, maybe many years. But if they go too hard, they're going to just have to, to cut again, cause a recession and start all over, uh, which would be an egregious error. Well, it seems like you're in the camp of what the Fed Watch tool is now showing, right? 94.3% probability of a 25 basis point hike at the Fed's next meeting. Of course, there was a lot of people still hawking on 50 basis points. So interesting to see that starting to get that high. Do you have that high conviction also kind of more, I wouldn't say maybe 90%, but what do you feel about that outlook there? 
Yeah, I, I, well, we've always been in the 25 basis point camp. They should do zero, uh, but that would make too much sense. And why why make one mistake when you can make two? So uh, they'll go for two, uh, and then and then they'll have to stop sooner rather than later. Maybe an intra meeting uh, announcement that they're they're going to pause as they see the data roll over. I mean, retail sales uh, negative in December during the holiday season. I mean, you don't you don't need to know a lot more. Manufacturing production came in worse than expected today. Industrial production came in worse than expected today. Retail sales came in worse than expected. PPI is negative five point negative five point five percent month on month. You annualize that, you're you know negative uh, multi points there, and uh, and apparently they're just not getting the message yet. So hopefully by the February meeting, uh, they'll be getting enough pushback from politicians that uh, you know hundreds of thousands of layoffs are unnecessary, and they'll uh, they'll calm down and. Uh, they can keep it elevated if they want to keep things restricted. I think that's a good idea. Keep things restrictive. Don't uh, don't get too easy too quickly. But you don't need to go much tighter than you are now. I wonder, right, if uh, Powell was kind of giving us a little bit more of that forward outlook with kind of his recent comments that came out of the, the conference when he was saying that uh, it's going to be like un unwished decisions like the decisions that he's going to be making moving forward aren't going to be some favorable ones let's hope that's not the case let's move forward let's get into an area that you've been all on top of tom definitely got to give you the shout out for that and that's talking about the china trade right let's talk about this is this pullback that we're getting today an opportunity or has this trade gone too far uh, in the long term, it hasn't even started. In the short term, it's got to take a breather and a consolidation. So, you know, companies like Alibaba, which we've been buying for months and pounding the table for months uh, and averaging in, our last purchase was at $61. Our, our basis is higher. Uh, but we think that the intrinsic value of this, some of the parts, when you look at the cloud business right now is where AWS was, uh, Amazon Web Service was in 2016. Uh, we think that's going to add another $10 billion of operating income uh, to Alibaba, which would mean a, a 66% increase over their peak when it was trading at $319 a share uh, moving forward. Then you got the Ant Financial IPO now that's going to happen within 12 to 24 months. They had the change of control. All the actions have been taken. That's the largest financial services business basically in Asia. Uh, and you own a third of that as an Alibaba shareholder. And then finally, the missing piece that, that is what catalyzed the trade uh, was the dollar stopped going up. And that was the, that was the secret to emerging markets. Uh, the dollars weakened about 10% in the last few months. And uh, companies like Alibaba are up 95% off of their lows. Uh, then you get Ryan Cohen, Mr. Meme himself, but also a multi-billionaire step into the stock. Uh, we found out yesterday through the Wall Street Journal, he's bought a few hundred million dollars of stock and he's telling the company you should buy back more stock. And I'm adding to that, not only should you buy back more stock, you should stop buying back and then giving it out to management at stockholder, stockholders comp and respect equity holders, do cash bonuses and, uh, and let the buybacks be accretive to shareholders and increase earnings per share and drive the stock uh, over the next few years. So um, to answer your question, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's probably got to take a breather after moving close to 100% in two or three months. Uh, you know, maybe that's days, weeks, I don't know. Uh, but when you look two, three years out, uh, this is going to be a much, much higher stock. And it's going to re- revert back to its intrinsic value, which is uh, uh, meaningfully higher from here.
Yeah, there's not many stocks that you see uh, a lot of the moving averages starting to even turn. You're seeing the 200 day start actually going to the upward angle. That hasn't happened in a long time. So we'll see what happens here, especially on, you know, the overall China trade. You could look at FXI similar. It gives you that outlook there. We'll look to see if we get some pullback opportunities here, Tom. Appreciate you being on top of this trade, definitely, and bringing it to the audience. Let's get out of the China trade. Let's continue Let's talk about what's going on in Moderna. It looks like, of course, recent, uh, they're just putting out more kind of vaccines. They're not just COVID anymore. I think this is the important thing. What do you think about a stock like Moderna? Look, we love biotech for 2023. We built up a position in, in late 2022. It bottomed in May. The sector bottomed in May of 2022, uh, several months before the overall market bottomed. Uh, and we think we our thesis was predicated on the fact, number one, we buy a basket because we don't think we can predict which company is going to get approvals when or which companies are going to get taken out. But when you buy a basket uh, and, the, and the group is at historical low valuations, which it was in 2022 and still is, uh, you can really, really benefit moving forward. So uh, the two catalysts there are number one is drug approval. So you've seen some major approvals in the Alzheimer's space which means that you're going to see more and more money come in and want to get involved. You're seeing blockbuster uh, drug approvals. Moderna has this special vaccine mechanism with the mRNA. We saw it with the, the recent approval last night. Uh, but we like the basket. We wouldn't want to put our money just in one name like Moderna because all of these companies are going to be racing to the finish line. Vaccine first, but Moderna's was, you know, it, it did exceptionally well also. Uh, so I think you just want to have exposure to the group because the group is historically undervalued and moving forward, you're going to see a lot more drug approvals. Now that the FDA is focused on their normal actions for two years, they were just focused on COVID and you're going to see a tremendous amount of deal activity. Even in the slowdown in the fall, you saw major deal activity. Big pharma is facing patent cliffs. What they have is a lot of cash on their balance sheets. What they don't have is a lot of growth moving forward. So when would be a better time to buy growth than biotech, which is trading at historically low valuations? And you saw a bunch of deals in late 2022. You're going to see a lot more in 2023. And that is going to drive more and more institutional flows into the biotech sector. Uh, that is a, a key position for us. We've got China, Alibaba. We've got that. Uh, and we've got some some special situations in the U.S. as well. Love it. And I d definitely like how you pointed out there the bottoming of the sector in 22. I know that you always like to stay and looking at that weakness to try to catch some opportunities. Any concerns for big tech earnings or maybe this is a rotation that we should be looking at? I know a lot of people are concerned about these big techs. Are you? Uh, there's none that I love except for Amazon. So uh, Amazon is is trading back at uh, 2018 levels. We've been talking about Amazon for yeah. four, six weeks. It was down to 85. I think it's, I don't know what it is today, 95. So it's just starting to move. Uh, but basically you're buying at 2018 prices. The difference is the Amazon web service business has tripled over that period. Their ad business has tripled over that period. Their e-commerce business has doubled over that period and their prime membership has grown from 100 million to 163 million members and you get it for the same price. So why is the stock trading like, uh, you know what, number one, uh, interest rates went up very, very quickly. That's fine. But number two, they over expanded warehouses during COVID. They thought that 
Uh, it was going to be an unending uh, growth where people would stay home forever and never go, go back out to stores. That's unrealistic. So Jassy will fix that. He'll normalize the warehouse costs. As a matter of fact, there was an article that uh, probably major uh, layoff announcements are on the way. They'll take the one-time charge for the severance. That'll add to their margins. There'll be a leaner, meaner machine moving forward. Uh, and, uh, and we certainly like Amazon. Now, if you look at the Bank of America fund manager survey from yesterday, which I'm sure you saw, Mitch, uh, you know, managers, uh, $750 billion of AUM, about 250, man 250 managers managing that, uh, have their lowest U.S. equity allocations since October 2005, uh, August 2010, and September of 2017. In all those three instances, you want to be a net buyer. The other thing that people are getting faked out with the general indices, if you look country by country around the world, many countries are at or near new 52-week highs. Mexico is breaking out. The UK is breaking out, which everyone says they have the highest inflation and the biggest recession. All of these countries are breaking out. There's only two indices that look like garbage right now. Number one is the NASDAQ, which is the five uh, FANG stocks. And number two is Israel, which is a tech-based index. So ex-tech, everything else is, is in a new bull market. And, and what that means is tech will follow. It may slightly underperform, but many of these names have come down so much that their rebounds, even if they underperform the general indices, can be materially. And that's why we like Amazon. We like the things that are left for dead. I mean, Amazon was down 55 some odd percent, one of the best businesses in the world, uh, historically and prospectively in our view. Definitely appreciate you. Like always, Tom, I'll sneak one last in that I wanted to talk about, which is we don't do it too often, but the industrials, they've stayed strong. Specifically, we could talk maybe deer and cat that have really stayed strong, uh, or we could just do the XLI, right? I mean, that's really been uh, an area that I have seen strength as of late. Is this area an area that you're looking at this year, or is this more along just kind of a trade that has come maybe a little bit of a value trap waiting? Yeah, I buy weakness and sell strength. I know there are a lot of traders out there that like to buy strength and sell weakness. Uh, the big money is made in buying weakness and holding for a few years, both from a tax standpoint uh, and from an economic standpoint. So cat and deer and many of the industrial names have had huge runs last year. That's when we were interested in them. We're much less interested. If you have to be in the vicinity, uh, we would actually look at some of the defense stocks that have gotten slaughtered this week on fears of the debt ceiling fights that they're gonna cut the defense budget. The one thing that you need to know about politicians is where they get their money from. Uh, defense is one area and uh, pharmaceuticals is another. So I think the probability of them doing meaningful cuts in the defense budget, particularly given the geopolitical concerns we have around the world, uh, are relatively low. Maybe there'll be modest cuts, but the way these things have sold off in recent weeks, uh, you know, I think there's opportunity in the Northrop Grumman's of the world. Maybe, maybe the Lockheed Martins, and that's as close as I would get to industrials. I mean, with Cat and Deer, they've had these monster runs. Uh, I'll leave that to someone else to play the breakout for a few points. Uh, I like to buy them when they're in the gutter, like uh, Amazon and Alibaba, and make two, three, four hundred percent over you know three to five years. That's more my style. All right, the chat will kill me if I didn't ask a little bit about oil. What about that? I know that China's come kind of reopening. That could help some of the demand. But is this more along something that has just gone too far? And we're going to see that rotation coming soon. Yeah, I'm agnostic. Uh, you know, we were pounding the table long energy stocks in 2020 when oil was trading at negative 30 and you couldn't mm -hmm. give them away. 
That's when we buy them. Uh, we laid off early in 2022, probably a little too early, but you know, you can't be a pig. Uh, and uh, energy stocks would have to come back, come in a lot more for us to reload, which we don't think is outside of the question. I do think certainly China demand will be material, but at the same time, the US rig count is now uh, just at pre-pandemic levels. So while everyone looks to Russia and Saudis for production, what they're forgetting is that our production, which had been cut by 66% during the pandemic is now back at pre-pandemic levels. And that's recent news that uh, you know not everyone has in their models. So I do think China demand is material. I also think US production is material. So we remain agnostic on oil. Well, definitely you guys in the chat, hit the thumbs up. I hope you guys appreciated that. Tom hitting every single area that I could think of to get into the market today. Appreciate you like always, Thomas Hayes. Check him out, guys. Chairman and managing member, Great Hill Capital. And you guys can always give Tom a good follow. He's a great one on Twitter. Appreciate it, Tom. Thanks Take so care. much, Mitch. All right, let's get. And we're back. So uh, that kind of gives you the general overview so we can just skip right past that. A couple data points I want you guys to look at. First off, retail has net sold all of the S&P 500 and NASDAQ 100 stocks accumulated from 2019 to 2021. So they are completely flushed out. That is usually the sign of times when you want to be a buyer. They were that flushed out in February of 2020. Uh, and uh, they're completely flushed out right now. Uh, also, this is a, a chart from Yardeni showing the relative valuation with uh, S&P 600, which is small cap stocks, trading at their lowest levels relative to large cap stocks, 13.2 times forward earnings versus 17.3 times forward earnings. We've talked about small caps in recent weeks. This just shows the China uh, tech stock rally, uh, since we've been uh, pounding the table here for those of you who have been with us for some time and you just heard with Mitch, uh, but it's about a $700 billion gain in the last couple of months. And as I said with Mitch, just getting started. So we'll have some fits and starts. We got to consolidate after moving 100% in a few months, but, um, but the intrinsic value is much many multiples of where it is right now. Uh, this was another thing from Ned Davis research, which shows a breath thrust which we got on the 12th and it shows the average returns, uh, you know, year out are just under 20%, about eight, eight, 18.9%. Uh, and there are very few false positives historically, if any at all. So, uh, that was positive to see. This is the ratio chart. So we've been talking about discretionary, uh, and uh, communication services. We started telling you guys last week we were setting up for that because of uh, everyone was jumping into energy and industrials after they'd already moved. Uh, the earnings growth in 2023 is all uh, concentrated in, in sectors people don't want, communication services and uh, consumer discretionary off a low base. You start to see discretionary already working. This is relative to the S&P 500. You're starting to see some relative outperformance. Whereas uh, healthcare, the big healthcare, have uh, already had huge moves and they're coming off the top. Then you've got um, utilities already had huge moves. Um, staples, are, all the defensives had huge moves. Um, and then here's tech, which is really just basically as, as, as bearish as people are. Uh, it actually looks like it's just been consolidating an overshoot from 2020 to 2021, consolidating sideways for two years relative to the S&P performing in line 
uh, just touching this 200-day moving average uh, and possibly setting up for some action. I do think they could underperform moving forward, but I don't think, you know, everyone's got this uh, recency bias attached to the 2000 tech wreck, and I just don't see it because the earnings power of these businesses uh, is unimpaired. Some of the multiples are too high. Some of the ones that are losing money don't touch. But, uh, you know, we've, t you know, just talked with Mitch uh, about Amazon. So, uh, industrials, everyone wants to jump on board. They'll keep going, but, you know, this has been a big move, uh, last year. Uh, relative outperformance has probably got to take a breather, as we discussed with Mitch. Uh, you could see he was asking about all the things that have already moved. Uh, we like the things that uh, no one wants. Like when we were talking China, you couldn't give it away. When we were talking energy in 2020, uh, you couldn't give it away. Banks couldn't give it away. Uh, you know, Amazon just a few weeks ago, you couldn't give it away. Uh, Disney a few weeks ago, you couldn't give it away. So that's when we like to buy. When you can't give it away, we want to help people out and uh, take what they they don't want. And uh, and when they want it again and they can't get enough, we'll, we'll be happy to help them out at that time as well. Um, here we go with energy again. You know, uh, we laid off a lot in early 2022. So we were buyers down here. And uh, and then we were sellers here a little bit early, but it hasn't done much on a relative performance. Uh, it's got to rest for a while. We'd love to see it pull back down to here in relative performance and then reload for the longer term because we do like the story. And here's communication services, the Amazons, et cetera, that uh, uh, other big earnings tech uh, bottomed out at the end of the year in October and are now starting to relative outperform again. And that's where the earnings power is which we'll cover. Uh, everyone's talking materials after it had this big move at the end of the year. Uh, sold to you, no, no interest. Biotech, bottomed in May. It's just working up this thing just like it did in 2016 to 18 relative outperformance, and that's going to persist. And uh, we'll be laying off up here when, when everyone else wants it again. Um, bonds, couldn't give them away long bonds. Now they're starting to bid a little bit. I think that'll persist this year. And KWeb, the China ETF, just getting started, ladies and gentlemen. Do we have to maybe consolidate a little of this? Maybe. Uh, but people are so underweight. Uh, you know, maybe you get this type of consolidation and you push off and uh, really start to hum. So we're excited about that. And then we also talked about real estate. If you remember, REITs last shall be first. We've talked about it. No one wants it. Well, guess what? It's been outperforming since the beginning of the year. So th that's how we think about things. Countries. All of you who are bearish, you know, again, just want to reemphasize this. The rest of the world is in a new bull market. The only thing holding back and making people pessimistic in the U.S. is five stocks that make up 27% of the index. You take those out and you look at like an RSP, which is um, uh, equal weighted S&P 500. Look what happens. You're about to break out to new highs. This is unbelievable. So th this is just basically taking out the weight of FANG and tech. And you're about to break out. And what does it look like? It looks like the rest of the countries around the world, even Africa, a reverse head and shoulders. Not that we're chartists or care about that stuff, but you just have to take note. Argentina, all-time all highs, just, just ripping. I mean, who, who the hell would think? Uh, Asher, just getting started, broke above the 200-day uh, um, uh, moving average. This is the uh, uh, China A shares ETF. Uh, here we go. The Dow even. I mean, does this look like a bear market to you? I mean, you know, above the 200 day consolidating straight up about to make all time highs. 
unbelievable. Um, Wisdom Tree Japan hedged ETF. Does that look like a bear market? Does this look like a bear market in Chile about to break up to new highs? Uh, this one does. Egypt is a little weak, but it broke above. It's it's checking back. You know, maybe um, uh, Ireland. I mean, this does not look. This looks like a double bottom and a breakout. That Ireland. So um, Israel. This is the other one that I said looked like death. Why? Because Israel is tech weighted, but even that is starting to come around now. Um, Philippines ripping higher. Um, India doing fine. I mean, it's, uh, you know, kind of looks a little like the Dow there. Um, Peru. What else do we have here? Australia. This is not a bear market. Reverse head and shoulders breaking out. Uh, this is going to make all to all time highs this, this year. I would bet on that. Um, Canada. Uh, you know, Canada, this looks like a reverse head and shoulders, not much tech exposure, uh, other leadership problems maybe, but, uh, they'll be okay. Um, next is Germany. Same thing with China reopening. They're, they're above their 200 day. They're, you know, this is not bear market behavior. Well, you know, everything breaking out above their 200 day and following through, not bear market behavior. Uh, Hong Kong above the 200 day breaking through. Um, Italy. Does that look like a bear market? No, that looks like it's going to make a new new high in the next 12 months. Uh, Italy. So could could these things go back and test the 200? Of course they could. But I mean, the key is the direction. I You know, I don't really care about the next two to three months. I care about the next two to three years. And for all the pessimism that we talked about in November and December when people were puking, we said, no, the rest of the world's doing okay here, guys. Let's pay attention. It's just five stocks that has you depressed. Let go of that. And pay attention to the rest of the world. Uh, Switzerland, same story. Okay, so, you know, we just go on and on and on. Malaysia, same story. Uh, I, you know, Spain. I mean, this is basically taking 52-week highs. I mean, this is above 2002 levels, and it's probably going to make all-time all highs. What else do we have here? France, of all places. Uh, Singapore. So you get the point, ladies and gentlemen. The rest of the world can't be doing this well, and the U.S. is going to go into a, a double-dip recession. I mean, uh, stocks lead. They're a discounting mechanism. Even the U.K., which is why people are so pessimistic, they say they have the highest inflation, the worst recession, and they're the ones that are closest to making new highs. They're literally a dollar away from making new highs. Uh, this is mind-boggling. You know, we haven't talked about our two major... Uh, UK positions yet, uh, in a meaningful way. We haven't completed work on the second one. Those, that's reserved for clients for the time being. But when that work is completed and we are, um, uh, it's a meaningful position for us, uh, we will potentially start to, uh, to talk about that publicly. The other problem is, uh, we're not crazy about talking about smaller, uh, market caps when we can, um, you know, avoid it. But, uh, but, uh, I think there's, um, very ample liquidity that uh, uh, everyone can. And some of you have figured it out already. But, you know, if you're just jumping on without doing work, uh, good luck. We're not done with our work. We've been working on it for weeks. We did a starter, a very strong starter position so we could uh, participate. As a matter of fact, um, one of the guys that works for me uh, said, well, how did you know there was going to be a catalyst? Well, it's very simple. When a stock is down meaningfully, call it 70, 80, 90 percent, and there's a change of management, uh, and the stock's doing poorly, 
the one thing you can count on is that they are going to come out sooner rather than later just to shore up confidence in investors with a plan for the future. And usually that plan is going to include two things. Number one is massive cost cuts. And number two is the plan plan to resume growth. Uh, and they did both of those in spades, which is why it was up 20% that day. Uh, so you just want to be positioned for stuff like that. Now it's going to be a show me. So now you'll have a, you'll have a spike. You're going to have some consolidation. You're going to have time to build a position because the market's going to say, uh, okay, show me what's happening. And the same will be true with Cooper Standard, which we'll talk about a little bit today. The financing, uh, expired last night at midnight. So we should get a press release in within four days. They have to do a, uh, by Reg FD. My guess it'll be sooner. Um, I would have thought this morning, if not tonight, but my guess is what they're going to want to do is announce once they have received the funds and then use the funds to pay off the short term debt, uh, and then make an all in announcements, which could take a couple of days, uh, to, to do. So we'll see what happens there. We'll see where it settles out after that. And then the catalyst moving forward is they've got a four year runway to get back to five, six, seven dollars a share in earnings power and apply whatever multiple you like. Uh, trough at 10 times, peak at 20 times. Uh, and you can see that there's dramatic upside uh, moving ahead. And it's going to be dependent on uh, industry volumes returning to 2017 levels over the next three, four, five years. And we think it could happen much sooner because the fleet is uh, 13.1 years old. Uh, Mexico, all-time highs. Unbelievable, okay? Um, if Mexico can do it, America can do it, you know? It used to, it used to be the other way around. Now, now it's, uh, uh, this year it's, it's opposite day. So South Korea, which is a barometer for the world, uh, go head and shoulders bottom, breaking out, measured move should be another 15 points to 75 for starters. Uh, all the CMTs must love me today. I'm talking charts. This is meaningless stuff, but when, the fundamentals, uh, and there's so much pessimism in the market, you have to separate yourself dispassionately and just look at the facts. The stocks are a leading indicator. Here's the Eurozone. This does not look like a depression or a recession or a hard landing. I mean, could the Fed screw it up? They're trying, but they're just, you know, they're trying really hard. They're just not going to be able to do it. Uh, Greece breaking out to new highs. So look, you get the point. Okay. Indonesia, the IDX is low. Why is that? Well, if you rule that people who aren't married can't go into the, live together uh, or can't stay in the same hotel room, who the hell is going to invest with you? So that's just a self-inflicted wound, uh, unforced error, and uh, hopefully they'll figure that out and uh, and rectify it so that foreign capital will feel comfortable once again. And if not, the money will go elsewhere. Money goes where it's treated best. And uh, you know, leave the morality for your churches and for your religions, but separation is church and state uh, works works best as, as far as we found over the last you know thousand years of history uh, small cap same thing they're trying to get out there and uh, you know they looks like a double bottom is in and then we'll go from there and remember the relative low valuations uh, kweb again breaking out finally double bottom and off to the races so look over and over and over uh, and this is the only one that's got everyone depressed is the Nasdaq it, it bottomed here it's testing it will it will lag and then it will follow through. This is what's holding down the S&P. 
But we're going to get tech earnings in the next two weeks, and I think they're going to be slightly better than expected. And for everyone worried about margins, don't worry about it. They're taking care of it with layoffs. I mean, that that's you're seeing it. You know, Amazon 18,000. I said this crescendo, like I just said with uh, Mitch, you're going to see more and more. You saw a few more today. Uh, the politicians are going to come out and, and force the Fed to stop. Uh, and um, Turkey, look at this. Remember we talked about that last year? This thing has been straight up double. Um all right, so there's, you know, Vietnam also looks a little, uh, Vietnam looks a little tired. That There may be opportunity here, actually. Uh, if not for anything, maybe just the ETF we'll have to look at. Uh, we haven't found any companies that we really like there yet. All right, Jeremy Siegel says, Fed needs to end its aggressive inflation-fighting policy and stop hiking rates now. Um you know, similar argument, but eventually someone's going to listen to him. I wish he would just cover the, the the brass facts how this is nothing like 19, 1970s or 1980s from a demographic standpoint, from an age standpoint, from a demand. This was supply driven. Supply chains now with China are open. You're seeing it with semiconductors. You're seeing it with autos. That was our, our thesis with CPS. Um, um and the other thing is, for every point that they've raised the Fed funds rate, it's another $300 billion a year in interest expense. So do the math. 5% is $1.5 trillion of new interest expense. They can't afford it. When Volcker was doing this, uh, and, and by the way, if they can't afford it, what do they do? They have to print more money to service the debt because they don't collect enough taxes to pay the new debt servicing. So it's more inflationary for them to continue raising rates than to just leave it here, let inflation run above trend. It'll tick down to 3%. At 3% plus, you'll have the debt to GDP will be inflated away from 120 down to 60, down just like it happened from 1948 to 1953. After World War II, debt to GDP got up to uh, 120% as well, and they just let inflation rub, run above trend 3 to 5% for five years, normalized debt levels, and they were off to the races. Volcker had debt to GDP of 33%. He could raise rates to 20%, and it was no big deal, uh, and that was, that was the formula that worked for them. But right now, they need to inflate away the debt and run inflation above trend, or you're going to default. I mean, there's just, or it's going to be, you know, a banana republic where they're just going to keep hiking rates and having to print money to service the debt. Uh, and no one's talking about that. And that's the most cogent argu argument to stop and wait, uh, even if they keep rates elevated. Tanking biotech stocks will mean a big year for deals who could benefit. So they were down last year. Uh, as we've covered, uh, pharma needs growth. They've got patent cliffs. They're going to be buying these left and right. This is going to be the year of biotech. Chips are the new oil and America's spending billions to safeguard its supply. That's why I think this is less cyclical. Everyone, again, is stuck on recency bias of 2000 to 2002. I think they're going to miss huge opportunities in this group. Uh, Amazon leads rebound in battered tech as traders uh, reload on risk. So, you know, we were interested when it, it was at 85. No one else was interested. Now it's at 95. People are getting interested. It pulled back a couple points. People are puking. Uh, I think this is a good long-term play. Um, this was uh, interesting. Um, this is Walter Deemer's breakaway momentum signal indicates really powerful upside momentum. He said uh, performance following a Whaley breath thrust in conjunction with breakaway momentum. That's really relevant here. Uh, one might call it a double-barreled buy signal to steal a phrase from uh, Goat Marty Zweig. 
Um, so basically after this triggers, I don't really care other than the data behind it. Uh, after this triggers, you can see a year of trading days out. You've got mid 20 to high 30 across the board percent gains. And we've just triggered that. Uh, the other thing is when it trades. So the average is, um, 26% gains, uh, 250 to, to trading days out. Um, median is 24.6. So that was an interesting tidbit. Why biotech is poised for recovery. We've covered that, but now consensus is starting to agree with us. Uh, you know, May, so eight months after it bottomed. Um, investors are holding near record levels of cash and may be poised to snap up stocks. That, uh, that we covered in the last chart. And when, when retail's flushed out, that's usually a good time to be buying. Here's, um, Tom Lee is back talking about a 20% rally this year. We, we, I don't know about 20%, but, uh, certainly more than most people are positioned for. That's for damn sure. Uh, inflation continu continues to fall. PPI fell 0.5% compared, compared to, uh, 0.1% gain. And on a three-month annualized basis, PPI is running just over 1%, which will help and drive inflation back down to the Fed's long-term 2% target. Uh, recent data argues the Fed is too hawkish as inflation data is showing clear signs of easing. Bond market argues the Fed needs to end the war soon. Um, first, inflation, two things need to happen. First, for big gains this year. First, inflation data needs to continue to track at this leg down level, and we expect less than 3% annualized inflation for the next six months. Second, Fed needs to own up to this, quote, leg down, uh, which bond market already sees. I think the 10-year yield got down to like 3-3-something yesterday. Mind-boggling. Uh, bond market already sees this. The Fed is in la-la land, apparently, based on the rhetoric yesterday, although um, Lel Brainerd came out today much more moderate, and that caused the market to uh, to come up nicely off the bottom. Um so today, um, let's see. Uh, this is not, okay. Uh, Fed needs to own up to this leg down, which bond market sees. This is not true if the Fed is willing to push the economy off a cliff needlessly. And they're right on the edge of that. A um, lot of stupid rhetoric coming out yesterday. And uh, the good news is those people have no votes, so they were just spectators. The bad news is the uh, algorithms have not been reprogrammed for voting members this year, I guess. Uh, but they got to get to it. So um, Fed has already turned less hawkish than it was for most of last year. That's correct with most of its recent hike being 50 basis points rather than 75. It got comfortable during 2022. Fed is expected to hike rates by just 25 basis points at its next meeting. And a pause in rate hikes could come soon after that. So you got February and then you have the mid, mid March meeting. Um, okay. So, uh, he also says 53% of all post negative years are up more than 20%, meaning high odds of a greater than 20% rise for the S&P in 2023. Uh, that probability, uh, of a more than 20% gain this year rises to 90% if the S&P is up more than 1.5% in the first five days of the year, uh, or if the VIX averages below 20, uh, 25, which it did. So, uh, all of this is, is, uh, is constructive. Okay. Activist investor Ryan Cohn takes stake in Alibaba and pushes for more buybacks. So the guy made two and a half billion dollars on Chewy, which is the pet food, uh, thing that ships, uh, pet food to people. And, um, you know, he took it. And cleverly, he put it in three stocks, 
uh, Wells Fargo, I think, I think Wells Fargo, Apple, and Amazon, if I'm not mistaken. Those were the three businesses, you know, I guess 800 million each or whatever. And then, um, he also has some Citigroup, Citigroup, Apple, Wells Fargo. Anyway, long story short, it came out that he bought about, um, a few hundred million dollars of Alibaba of, uh, recently, and he's pushing them to do more buybacks. Um, so, you know, he did GameStop, he did all this, but I think this is more like his investments in Apple, just buying high quality business that he knows are going to compound. And now he's pushing the activist front like he did with GameStop. The benefit of that, not that it'll work, but what may happen as a result of this is what you saw in GameStop, um, which, you know, didn't have the same fundamentals. So I don't want to keep comparing it. But what happens is opinion follows trend. And if like the other businesses he was involved in, retail investors get very excited about it. The common denominator is most retail investors don't have a lot of money. So what they do is they try to force big outcomes with options. And um, collectively, they have a ton of money. So, But they're all putting it in options versus stock. And what happens is when the dealers sell the options, they have to buy the stock to hedge. And we saw this with Paramount Global, with the Archegos. We saw a lot of gamma squeezes uh, over 2020 and 2021 with GameStop, with AMC, with uh, Paramount, etc. And what could happen is the more the stock goes up, now that Ryan Cohn is involved, um, and to the extent there is that swarm of retail people still involved, you're going to start to see a lot of call options. And when, you know, millions of contracts of call options are sold, dealers have to buy millions of dollars of stock to hedge. And the more it goes up, the more stock has to be bought to hedge out the, the premium that was sold. Uh, and that can create a squeeze and get us to intrinsic value much more quickly than uh, would happen on its own. So, uh, there's a there's a potential catalyst now the stock is really big to for this type of thing to play out but the more it goes up and the more noise it is around Cohen can only help it's like someone said what do you think of Cohen being involved I said it's just noise but ha- happy to have him on board uh, after you know after a big move here that said uh, if it does attract that crew um you know, we may we may get to our, our outcome of intrinsic value much much sooner, and uh, and and to that point when everyone wants the stock and we'll help them help them out. It's very far off from here in terms of price. Uh, there's a lot more to go, but uh, but this could be a potential catalyst to get there much sooner than than I would have expected. So um, just because of what structurally might happen in the market, um, so we'll see. Boeing seven thirty seven Max takes off. From China for first time in nearly four years. Good news keeps coming. So this is all the China stuff. Uh, meme stop icon. Cohen buys into Alibaba and rare China activism. China property crisis. Beijing drops 21 point plan to aid developers with financing. So they're bat, they're, they're, it's game on. It's, they're doing, it's, you know, history repeats itself over and over in China. Uh, you know, they, they overlend, they crash, they, you know, and then they say, we'll never do it again. And then they do it again. 
why they don't want riots and they don't want to be overthrown. So Chinese provinces mostly target growth of 5% or more in 2023. That's in line with what they set for the country, which they're going to probably blow past. Alibaba drives deeper into autonomous driving market with Geely partnership and smart car system. This is related to their uh, semiconductor uh, um, expertise and other expertise. And you don't even know, like they're, they've got their hands in so many incredible pots and so many outs. Like we say in poker, you have outs. It's like, we're playing this game for Ant, for AWS, not in that order, AW, uh, not AWS, Ali Cloud and uh, Ant. By the way, there's an unbelievable e-commerce business, which the, the government is pushing domestic consumption now. Um, and then you've got all these things like the Costco of China with, with the supermarkets we covered that they own yesterday, uh, yesterday. Autonomous driving. Who's even thinking about that? The chips. So anyway, a lot of outs, a lot of exciting stuff happening. And now some structural thing that may, may even accelerate and, uh, add fuel to the, to the, uh, to the fire. So Chinese Premier Li Qing Kang expresses support for platform economy. Okay. So more of the same. China's government is buying Alibaba and Tencent shares that give the Communist Party special rights over certain business decisions, report says. Okay, now this is this is a big thing because I got an ask me anything question um, from By the way, uh, Brian asked about if there's a deadline for uh, an announcement regarding the uh, refinancing with CPS. Uh, they have four days to file. Like I said, I think they're, you know, assuming it was completed, I think they're going to pay off the old stuff, have the uh, four-year runway in place, and then announce that it's all done um, once they have all the numbers. So I, best guess, I would imagine, uh, tomorrow or tonight or something like that. Uh, but maybe they leave it off till Monday when there's more action. Uh, can you give us, uh, okay. So the question was, um, okay. Um, all right. Well, okay. So the person asked, uh, are you worried about the golden shares? Uh, okay. Here we go. From Andrew Lair. Hi, Tom. Thank you for all of your amazing work. Do you see the Chinese government <clears throat> buying shares of Alibaba and Tencent as a good sign or a bad, and why? Um, well, first thing I like to ask whenever someone proposes a deal is how much skin in the game do you have? Um, so, you know, how much money are you putting up? Now, if the Chinese government confiscated these shares and just took them and said, we're going to have 1% of the company, <clears throat> whether you like it or not, that would worry me. But instead, the Chinese government wrote a check for 1% of this business and, um, and got a seat on the board in exchange. So the fact that they actually wrote a check for the equity and paid for it uh, I like because they're now a partner. So rather than being an adversary, they're not going to flush their own, own investment. They're going to be incentivized to make sure the business does well. That's not to say that all of their decisions are going to be ideally what Alibaba would do on their own, but, uh, it's a trade-off. You know, it's like if, if the ship's going down, you're coming with me. And I like now that they have skin in the game. So for me, it's a net positive and, uh, the stock traded up on that news. 
uh, and that tells me what I need to know. China's revenge spenders are just warming up. We agree. We saw it in the U.S. in 2020 and 2021. Just imagine that with, you know, kerosene added to the fire. Uh, it's going to be mind-boggling because we weren't locked up for years. We were locked up for weeks. Um, China's economy could recover faster and earlier than expected, analysts say. Opinion falls trend. So they only needed a 100% move in the equities to get, uh, to get excited. Um, Chinese stocks have been on a tear. Morgan Stanley says it's turning even more bullish on China. Even more bullish, even more bullish than when you said they were uninvestable, asking for a friend. So, uh, big change from uninvestable to overweight. Uh, you just can't make this stuff up. Nearly all of Beijing to get COVID by end of January study finds. So that's good. Uh, there was another good in the sense that they'll get it, get on with it. Uh, not good for the people that, you know, they could have done it better. Obviously, they could have just said, all right, you know, we'll buy 200 billion shots of the mRNA. We'll jab everyone in, in December and then January we'll let, let people go. But instead they just said, herd immunity overnight. So they went for that. That's fine. Uh, that was their choice. Uh, don't know if it was the best decision for their people, but it is what it is. It's done. And um, uh, the reports say that it peaked in most areas in January 6th. So basically everyone had it by January 6th. Um, U.S.-China trade is close to a record defying talks of decoupling. Facts speak louder than words. Everyone's saying deglobalization and we're enemies and yet even in the worst possible circumstances, we did more trade than ever. Uh, and I think that's going to kill up. Uh, China Vice Premier Li, Lu He says country open to foreign investors. So uh, China's economy will be on fire in the second half. Stanley Charter, Standard Charter Chairman says it's just mind boggling. All the same people who said it was uninvestable are now the cheerleaders. Wait till you see. You know, if you think people are excited at 115 or 120 bucks, wait till Alibaba's at 250. The people you're going to see that get bullish on Alibaba at $250 are going to blow your mind. And I'm going to actually pull up the videos when they were telling you to sell it in the hole. And that is going to be a fun podcast. My guess it'll be episode, uh, where are we? Maybe, maybe as early as episode 220 or 230. Uh, and we'll cut back to the tape. China's vice premier says growth rate can, can recover. Uh, China says economy to return to faster growth as COVID isolation ends. China set for steady continuous foreign capital inflows as overseas investors return amid reopening. Uh, China is open again. 13 ways to tap into its recovery right now from our, uh, our friendly, uh, China bull at Barron's, Rejma Kapadia, who's been writing some very positive articles on China of late. China tightens media control with tiny stakes in two Alibaba units. It's amazing how these are framed. Uh, another way to look at it is China writes a big check to buy 1% of the company and gets a seat on the board as a result of the investment. How's that? How's that for like facts? Uh, here's from uh, Brendan Ahern over at um, KWeb ETF. Mainland China managed small gains as the vice premier speech at the World Economic Forum in Davos garnered significant attention from mainland financial and media. In 2023, Vice Premier stated China will, quote, continue to implement a proactive fiscal policy and prudent monetary policy, focus on expanding domestic demand, welcome more foreign investment to China, and prevent and diffuse economic and financial risks. Uh, that sounds good. 
The government will, quote, unswervingly support the development and growth of the private economy, persistent opening up to the outside world. Um, da, 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 da. Okay, so that's that. I mean, it's all out there, folks. They can't, they can't walk this back now. Um, moving right on to the article of the week, stock market breather and sentiment results. After a 14% move off the October lows, the market has been consolidating sideways for the past six weeks or so. This is a normal consolidation and will resolve itself higher in our view as we work through earnings and the Fed meeting in the coming weeks. Uh, for the next few days, who knows? Okay, so here you had 14.5% move off the October lows. Uh, by the way, we were on with Mitch on the day of the low with a bullish outlook saying that we'd get to 4,100, which we did before the end of the year, which we did 4080. Uh, I said 4,100 to 4,250. We got to 4,080. We're consolidating that sideways here the last six weeks. Um, okay, so we went through that. Now, the core tenet of the bearish argument is that the S&P is trading too high of multiple and the multiple cut must come down as earnings slow. We believe that estimates are too low for two reasons. So, you know, um, first off, you can see where earnings are headed. But second off, uh, China has 5% 5, 5 GDP growth target, uh, and I think that's going to be exceeded because there's a lot of pent-up demand and they've got a lot of backlog of stimulus they've been doing since last March, which we've talked about. Uh, and the 10% decline in the dollar should add about 5 to 8% uh, to S&P earnings that are not yet in the models. No one's really talking about that. Even excluding those factors, the path of least resistance is up. Everyone's talking about, well, you can't have a 17.1 times multiple, which is 2023 earnings, uh, if, if earnings are going to slow and the market. But the fact is, after tech reports over the next couple weeks, earnings season's over, which means 2022 is gone, uh, and we've got 2023 and beyond guidance. So, so on current year, it'll be 17.1, but when you look at forward, 2024, which is 252 on the S&P, you're only trading at a 15.5% uh, earnings growth rate with 15.5% um, PE multiple, 15.5% PE multiple with 15% earnings growth, uh, actually, excuse me, 10% earnings growth uh, from this year to next year. So uh, we think that's positive. And for those who claim 15.5 times next year is still too high because rates have gone up, uh, keep in mind, the Fed funds rate during one of the biggest gaining periods in the stock market in history from 1995 to 2000 was over 6%. You can see it right here. And look what happened to the NASDAQ. No one wants to touch any tech with the 10-foot pole, even earning tech with high cash flows. Well, think again. Uh, not to say that because rates are high, tech must do well. That's not true. But it's not to say because the Fed funds rate is 4%, tech can't do well. I think some tech will do well. Uh, the highest quality that are cash generative that have been cut in half. You know, we've talked about Amazon, et cetera. So, um, okay, so that's that. And for those who say earnings have to come down, well, earnings bottom six to 12 months before, uh, excuse me, the market, stock market bottom six to 12 months before earnings bottom. So if you still think earnings are coming down in another few months, that points right to October of last year being the bottom in the stock market. Uh, sentiment, five key takeaways from the Bank of America survey. Managers have less risk in their portfolio than at the bottom of the market in the uh, early, early 2009 during the great financial crisis. Takeaway two, investors feel the Fed policy is too restrictive now. 
the three out of the last four times when they felt this way, it was the time to be a buyer of stocks, not a seller. That was at the pandemic lows. That was at the euro debt crisis lows in 2011 and the 20, 2002 lows of the market in November of 2002. Uh, the financial crisis, which was a once in a hundred year credit event, uh, was it was the exception. China growth outlook is positive. This sentiment is consistent at the early stages of previous major rallies in China equities. Uh, lowest U.S. equity allocation since October of 2005. The last four instances of managers being this underweight equities were times to be a buyer of equities, not a seller. And recession fears peaked in November. The last two peaks in fear were at or slightly after major market bottoms. So, uh, the last peak was April of 2020. The bottom was in in March. Uh, we just had this peak in November. The bottom was in in October in our view. And then you had it in March of 2009 at the great financial crisis lows. Managers are now underweight tech and equities <coughs> and overweight cash and bonds. I'd take the other side of that certainly start to get some tech exposure on a selective basis and certainly equity exposure uh, while everyone's still fearful. Um, okay, so we see, you know, inflation rolling over, the data's weak, the Fed can declare victory uh, rather than come out. Okay, so we went through all of that with the Fed talk. You can read that. Looks like a 25 basis point hike. Sentiment is improving. It's still neutral. When the bull minus bear was this inverted, uh, you had uh, major rallies in the next 12 months. This is from Matt Sermonaro. Uh, next 12 months was, so last time this happened was at the pandemic lows. You had a 51% in the next 12 months. Then you had 2009 or 2010, you had a 13%. Then in 2009, you had a 53%. And then in looks like 1998, you had a 19% rally. So again, just more things pointing to when things get this extreme, there's opportunity. Here are the earnings, top 30 weights of the S&P 500 over the last 60 days. They've come down by 1%, uh, the 2023 earnings. So basically flat, that's good. Same thing with the Dow. They've come down by uh, less than 1%, 67 basis points. So earnings basically flat. Market's still suppressed. That uh, sets up uh, as an opportunity in my book. Um, then you look at just general earnings. Morgan Stanley knocked it out of the park because they have the consistent business of the um, of the um, financial advisors. Goldman Sachs, uh, you know, uh, you know, s the bed for lack of a better word. Why? Because they're dependent on deal activity and they screwed up trying to go into the consumer business with Marcus, so they had to take big write-downs. Write but it's Goldman Sachs. They'll figure it out. Um, some other ones. Let's see. Wow, this is mind-boggling. New Oriental Education, EDU, which was one of the companies that was shut down, uh, the online education services shut down by the government last summer uh, as part of the crackdown. Um, they basically modified their business and they beat on the top and the bottom line. Talk about resilient of these Chinese businesses. I mean, this was a sector that literally got shut down and these guys have figured it out. So, uh, that, if they can do well with their hands still tied behind their backs, imagine what the other businesses are going to start doing with the country reopening. That, that is pretty exciting to see. Uh, Procter and Gamble beat on top and bottom line. Netflix will see tonight. 
Um, what else? I think that's it on the earnings, on the economic data. The Chinese economic data came in better than expected. Fourth quarter GDP was 2.9 versus 1.8. That was with major shutdowns uh, and unrest. I mean, this is when they were, you know, uh, welding people into their own apartments, if you remember from the news. Mind-boggling. Industrial production came in better, 1.3 versus 0.2. And the thing is, everyone says, well, you can't trust Chinese numbers. Well, you know, when the numbers were like negative 10%, no one said, well, you can't trust them. Uh, maybe it's negative 20%. So, I mean, you, you can't have it both ways. I mean, retail sales were negative 1.8% versus negative 8.6% estimates. That's pretty exciting. I mean, if, if they can do that kind of business with the country shut down, uh, and all the political nonsense that was going on in the fourth quarter, wait till we see what happens in the second quarter and the third quarter when things normalize. I mean, it's exciting. Uh, unemployment rate was 5.5 versus 6%. Um, New York State Empire Manufacturing, this collapsed, negative 32. Fed needs to be paying attention to these numbers and they need to, you know, if they've got to do this 25 basis points, they should do zero. But if they've got to do it, they should just say, uh, we're not attached to any particular number. Uh, this may be it or it may go, you know, one more or something like that. That, that, that would be the language. Uh, or, you know, or we're just going to keep it elevated. And if we need to do one more, we'll do it. But uh, I think if we keep it elevated, you know, starting now, we may be able to keep it elevated for many years. If we hike too soon, then we're going to have to go back to cutting. Core retail sales, again, you know, these are all signs to the Fed. Wake up and let up because, you know, one mistake was enough. Two is not acceptable. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll see if they get it right here. They're on the edge of, like, really pulling off something amazing, but they could they could just, if they go a little too far, they're going to blow it. Um, okay, so continuing jobless claims uh, uh, stayed at 1.6. So the job seems okay here, but uh, we'll see going forward. Big build on crude inventories. That was interesting to see. All right, so now we're going to get to uh, this is the sector earnings. Again, everyone's chasing energy and materials. They're going to have the worst results this year in terms of earnings. Uh, no one wants consumer discretionary and commercial ser uh, communication services coming off a low, uh, and they're going to be among the best. So keep an eye on that. Now, let's do a couple of uh, ask me anything questions, and then we'll be done. Um, Ish Singh. Okay. Hey, Tom, thanks for your amazing work and solid advice. It's not, it's opinion, not advice. Go to hedgefundtips.com. Click on terms. Uh, don't know your financial situation. Talk with a financial advisor, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I often watch your weekly video cast twice to make sure I'm able to reach, reap as much as I can from them. Uh, I've been watching you for almost a year now. I'm finally submitting my first AMA. I know we're not in the business of speculating or timing. However, given the run that CPS has had in the past month and your expectations for how it might trade flat after the refinancing is priced in, would you consider selling some shares now that it's uh, it's, it's not 50% of the portfolio yet? It will be uh, shortly. To add equity positions like BABA, Biotech, which may yield higher returns from now to the end of the year, now that CPS is trading at more reasonable value, and given that EPS may take a while to ramp up, do you see more potential in other positions in terms of percent gain? I don't play that game. Uh, I'll be holding this uh, for until they're earning what I think they should earn on a normalized basis. And then I'll determine if the multiple is 
despondent or euphoric, and if it's anywhere near euphoria, uh, I'll lay it off. When everyone wants it, I'll help them out. Right now, no one still wants the stock, uh, so uh, so they're not getting it, okay? I, I had to help them out. When they wanted to get rid of it at 5 and 4 and $3, we helped them out, okay? They were dumping it in the streets. There was blood in the streets. They couldn't give it away. We had to help them out. We got in at $5.50, uh, and uh, we're nowhere near the point where they they really need to get on board and get as much stock as they as they want. Uh, so so we'll be sure to help them out once they're ready, and we're nowhere near that. So I don't care, you know, if they put out a press release and the stock trades down, you know, they put out a press release that the refinancing's done and the stock trades down on a sell the news. Uh, I hope it trades down a lot. Maybe I can pick up a few more shares. But um, it also might trade up, um, so I, I can't predict. I don't. I don't care. I'm in. I'm in this stock because I think it can earn five, seven, maybe eight dollars a share on a normalized basis because they're going to get more margins from the EV cars moving forward. And uh, eight dollars at ten multiple is a lot higher than now. At a twenty times multiple, it's 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 really a lot higher than right now. So no, I don't. I don't play those reindeer games because. If you what if you dump and it goes up to 25, then you missed 100% of the move, and instead of having an eight bagger from here, you only have a three bagger. That that just makes absolutely no sense. I got more people contacting me asking me if they should buy more when it was at $14 and $13 than when it was at six five four dollars uh, when no one wanted it. And and um, you know it's just I I I know a lot of you guys are learning listening, but you got to buy when there's blood in the streets. And uh, um, no, I, I, I don't. By the way, if the stock does nothing or goes down for the next 24 months and it winds up at 80 or or $100, do you think I care? It's it's the IRR over time. It's the internal rate of return. So if it's, if it's 800% over three years and that all comes in the last six months, I don't care. Or if it comes in the first six months and I'm not in because I'm trying to be cute about $3, um, that's just uh, not not the way to play it in my view. But look, be cute. You might win. Uh, but uh, I think it's a good question and hopefully helpful to a lot of people. So number one, thanks for listening. Number two, a lot of people are thinking that same question. I can tell by sentiment. And uh, I don't want to play those reindeer games. I want to own this thing until it's at, at fair, fair value. Uh, Ross, uh, interested in investing. Okay. Uh, JT asked a question on the uh, – on. Uh, two British stocks. We're not talking about those publicly at the moment. That's for reserved for clients, and we got to finish our work. Uh, AJ Enos, um, I'm lucky to be a listener since September 2022. After following along a few months and my own due diligence, I took long positions in three of your most talked about companies, and the results have been positive to say the least. Becoming a paying. Okay, so that's that. He's joining the uh, trade service. That's great. Thank you, AJ. Um, Nikolai, uh, AMA question. Thanks for a very good podcast. Was wondering if you could give your thoughts on the company Rumble on Inc. ticker RMBL. All right, let's take a quick look. Uh, first off, here it is. It's traded down. That's good news. Looks like technically it looks like it's going to bounce. Let's see if I'd want to own the business. Uh, negative cash from operations. Uh, gross margins are in, uh, increasing. So negative, positive. Uh, revenues are increasing. That's good. Um, negative EPS. Let's look at the financials. Revenues are going parabolic. 
Uh, gross profit is good. Their operating income is meaningfully negative and growing negative. They've got positive EBITDA for the first time. Uh, diluted EPS per share. So they're going to earn some money. Let's look at cash flow statement. Uh, earn a couple bucks in cash from operations. So this is kind of a turnaround story. The business is getting better. The price has gotten worse. Uh, for me, you know, what they do is they buy and sell vehicles. I think used cars are going to be a, uh, an S show this year. I think the game is going to be new vehicles. Um, so let me just see here. I know the CEO, I think, of CarMax was in buying stock and some of the people in Carvana were buying stock. You know, on those, I'd probably want to buy the debt and trade it like a zero coupon bond. I, You know, if the debt's trading at 50 cents, I might buy, you know, take the amount of money that I want to put into the position, do 50% in the debt with, you know, a 30% yield because they're triple C now, and then maybe the rest in equity. So if the equity gets wiped, I still have a chance to be made whole on the debt. And basically, if I'm wrong, I come out whole. If I'm right, I get a double on the debt. I collect the yield in the meantime, and maybe I get a five-bagger on the stock on some of these uh, used car website type things or dealer type things. But um, what does this thing do? Uh, distribute pre-owned vehicles in North America. Yeah, I mean... I, I wouldn't touch it. That doesn't mean it won't go up. It could very well go up. Um, there are others I would look at first, but I, you know, I think the thinking is okay. I think you're going to be early on that. I think the demand is going to be for new cars this year. A lot of pent up demand. And what's going to happen is, you know, if you go to get quote pre-qualified here, uh, they're going to say, you know, congratulations, you know, eight or 9%. Whereas you're going to start to see GM and Ford and all of them come out and say, Hey, come on down. We know your car is 13.1 years old. Uh, we're going to do 0% financing for 24 months or 2.9% financing and an 8%. And everyone's going to say, oh, my God, I need a new car. Oh, and by the way, we're not selling above sticker anymore because we've got a lot full of cars because the semiconductors have been rolling since June and the game is going to be on. Um, as far as someone asked me about the markdown in prices, Tesla did a markdown to gain volume. I think this is hugely bullish for Cooper Standard because... You know, GM and Ford traded down on that because they'd have to, you know, the theory was they would have to cut their prices. I don't think that's true, but let's assume that's true. <laughs> and then they have dealer incentives. You're going to see massive volume. And it was just a question who was going to blink first. Uh, and I remember talking with someone. I said, look, GM and Ford may be controlling supply so they get higher margin and they've just enjoyed this halcyon period for the last two years. But Hyundai's not sitting on their ass. They're going to come in and they're going to undercut the market and Kia's going to come in and undercut the market and then they're going to get fear of loss because they're going to lose share and then everyone's going to be cutting. Where does Cooper Standard make money? They don't care what GM and Ford's margins are. They care about number of cars because the price of the sealer per car in order for them to sell the car and the fluid delivery system and the brake delivery systems are uh, based on number of cars, not on how much did GM and Ford make per car, just how many units went out. And the lower the prices, the more units are going to go out. So Tesla, who is, by the way, a client of uh, Cooper Standard, uh, did the whole industry a favor and they blinked first. So now hopefully everyone starts to blink and the volumes go out like crazy. Used cars will get crushed. New cars will go like bananas, 
and uh, and Cooper Standard will make coins. So that's uh, that's our thinking there. Um, okay, Kyle M says, should we be taking shots at companies that, that have declined 50% over the last two years versus successful companies over the last two years? Um, okay, so he's talking about Twilio, Teladoc, Carvana, and Shop. Uh, Carvana is very risky. I told you if I was going to be involved, that's how I would do it. The only reason it came across my screen is because uh, one of the insiders was buying stock in November uh, after the stock had collapsed, you know, 95%. They basically got enough 12 months, uh, enough cash for 12 months. That's super high risk. I don't know if I would even take it, but if I did, that's how I would take it. Um, Shopify, Twilio, and Teladoc, I think I've looked at them. If I'm not mistaken, they're all losing money, and I don't want to touch any business that's losing money in this environment. I want cash-generative businesses. So let's see. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, if you look at these technically, like Twilio, they, they, they look a little bit attractive because they're down so much, and they... Again, just because I'm not interested doesn't mean they won't go up. I'm just saying I like to put, you know, it's like, it's back to that Warren Buffett thing. I just keep my, my shoulder, my bat on my shoulder until the fat pitch comes down the middle. And people will yell, swingy bum, swingy bum, and that's fine. You make more money in this business from the things you don't do than the, than the things that you do do because that keeps you in the game and when that fat pitch comes down you can lean into it uh, and absolutely knock it out of the park for a grand slam and you only need a few grand slams in a career and you annualize that performance and you're well above above trend and everyone's happy so um, uh, this is this is not let's just take a quick look Twilio I don't even need to look at it because we just saw it but um, All right, revenues are growing. They're ju they're just losing money. I, I don't want to be in money losers right now. So Twilio's off the table for me. Teladoc, which I think is a commodity. I think all the insurance companies are doing it on their own now. Let's see. All right, so they're turning cash flow positive. Um. Also, Robin asked on YouTube about PayPal. We covered that a few episodes back, so you can check that out. She also asked about Square. Uh, Square is the same story. I'm not, I'm, I personally wouldn't do Square. Anyone that changes their business to, they change their business to be called blockchain when, when, um, um, uh, Bitcoin was at $60,000. Anyone who chases fads like that for me is a, is a leader I don't want to follow. So uh, I'm, I'm just a hard pass. As much as I know they've got Cash App and it's a decent business, I'd take a closer look at PayPal, which we did. Uh, haven't done anything with it, but but uh, if uh, gun to the head, that, that would be the one that I would take. Uh, I, I'd, I'd take a hard pass on, um, on Square. Doesn't mean it won't go up. Again, here's a great business. Still losing money. Teladoc, pass. Next, your question was Carvana. We covered shop. Shop keeps coming up. Shopify, and I keep doing nothing. Um, 
I mean, part of the question is, what do I want to sell? Am I going to sell Baba? No. Am I going to sell Cooper Standard? No. Am I going to sell Biotech? No. Uh, again, this one's losing money, so that's easy. That's easy. Um, Exxon uh, passed. I, I've covered uh, energy in the last couple of months. It'd have to come in a lot for me to get interested again. Apple, you know, it's trading at 26 times. Its historic multiple is like, I don't know, 17 or 18. I think it'll do fine, but um, it's just, it's just, it's not going to do exceptional. It's not going to do poorly. It's a great business. It's just not for me. Uh, Jarrett, hey Tom, was able to get some CPS in the low sixes and tens. Do you see another potential drop where adding more would still be good? Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I have no idea. I don't even think in those terms. All I know is I bought as much as I, I could uh, ever want, and we got in at 550. It would have to drop back to 550 for me to even look at it again. So that's not that's not the way I think about things. So um, I wouldn't count on that, but nothing's you know nothing's impossible. Um, uh, also, as Chinese stocks, any takes on Neo. Uh, I'm agnostic. I, I'd rather be the arms dealer than the, uh, you know, if you look at the 1920s and the amount of car companies that were, you know, Packard was an incredible car. My dad always talks about it, it was his luxury car. It was the greatest. But thousands of, of auto companies went bankrupt. So I don't want to play the game of picking winners and picking losers. Is it going to be Geely or BYD or um, Tesla or Ford or you know, I just want to be the arms dealer. I want to sell them the sealer that goes around the doors. I want to sell them their, their cooling systems that you need more of for their fuel delivery systems, uh, the brake. I, I want to sell, uh, I, I want to sell to all of them. Okay. I hope they all do great, but I know only two or three are going to survive and I don't want to make that gamble on who it's going to be. I mean, I look at all the pictures in Neo. I think they got cool looking cars. Uh, but, I'll let the market vote for that, and I'm not going to predict it because I'm, you know, I I don't have a crystal ball on that stuff. Uh, I have a crystal ball on buying businesses that are temporarily impaired, that have years and years of track record, that have a moat around their business, that just, you know, fell out of favor in the Wall Street fashion show, uh, and I know they're going to revert back to, to back to their mean. Uh, and those I can buy all day long and, you know, quote unquote crystal ball. It's, it's, it doesn't take much predicting at all. It just takes some, you know, gonads, so to speak. So, uh, so pass, uh, not pass. I, I think it could work. I just don't know who's going to be the winner. It could be Neo. I, I don't know. You probably know better than I do. So, uh, I like Chinese stocks. Uh, you know, as long as they're doing decent, they should get, uh, rising tide should lift all boats. Um, Eric says, can you give us a sense of when the next catalyst is for CPS? Uh, yeah, it's going to be March 17th at 1 p.m. Um, the stars and the moon and the sun are going to align, and then it's going to go to $40. I mean, I have no idea. What I do know is uh, once we get the press release that the financing is complete, they have a four-year runway for the industry volumes to revert back to normal levels. We think they're going to be above trend uh, for some time playing catch up for the next few years. So I think that the industry volumes are going to do better than everyone expects. And then if this Tesla, uh, uh, cut practice, uh, c carries some weight, that's going to be exciting because volumes are going to go through the roof. If people can get cars at a discount to sticker and, uh, get dealer incentive financing for new cars, I mean, you know, um, that's going to be a home run. And if you want to buy a, 
you know, a two-year-old uh, Range Rover, you probably get it at a at a 70% discount a year from now as the market gets flooded with new cars and CPS is selling the sealers for all of them, which is exciting. So, uh, so that's the game I want to play. With that said, we've run a little over here, but I'd wa- I want to thank you for tuning in. I hope you found this helpful. Uh, we'll be back next week, same time, same place. In the meantime, make it a great one. Bye for now.